This show is supported by Brighton's own Bison Beer. They're coming out of lockdown at their beach bar from April the 12th, where we can join them outside under the rule of six. Book your spot by going to bisonbeer.co.uk forward slash bookings or walk in when the weather suits seven days a week and let them know you're fans of the show for 10% off your drinks. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. Hello, welcome to Football, the Albion and me. I'm Richard Newman. This is the final player interview of the series. Before we take a break for the off-season, thank you so much again for all of your support. We'll, of course, be wrapping up the season with a final panel show next week. But we've got a pretty special interview for you to round things off. David Stockdale is my guest. We've barely heard from him about Albion since he left following that promotion winning season. He's now at Wickham, loving his time there. We talked about his all-round career, of course, being in awe of his teammates when he linked up with England. And we discussed that special season, including the reason for leaving. Enjoy. Follow Football, The Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Commiserations on relegation, first of all, a a mixed season um, for you, really, as as you did, you know, regain your first team place as well. Not really fans. How do you sum it all up? Incredible. Uh, It's it's probably the first ever time I've gone back into a change room where a team's been relegated and the smiles and and, uh, uh, not relief, because that's a hard word to say. It, It was more like... We we came good. We knew that we could do something, but it was just too little, too late. But we knew that we learned well and 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 enjoy. We enjoyed every single moment of it, you know. And I think that for me, that sums up football and what every fan. If if you could do love it to have been a an Amazon or Netflix on Wickham this year, yeah. because they'd have had some good insight onto how football really is. At, not the millions of pounds where people think we've got people working three jobs in staff so it, everyone pitches in we all take take things off the bus and get set up ourselves as well so everyone works incredibly hard at Wickham and I'm not saying it doesn't at other clubs but it's, it's a one-of-a-kind club. Is that quite nice to be a part of then does it kind of um, I guess especially as we've been talking about the last few weeks with like you know the European Super League which didn't get off the ground you're talking about these clubs who think they're so far above everyone else as well. But then you're talking about something which feels like it's got real soul, you know, like a, a sort of real football. But, you know, there you are competing in the championship. And it was, I guess that must be quite special. Yeah, that that's the whole thing around it. And that's why it's so special to come in, getting relegated and smiling. Not, not because you've been relegated, but the point of the whole journey. And the memories made with a group of guys that some of which never played at that higher of a level. And for them to come off the pitch feeling we'd just beat Middlesbrough, a good team. <clears throat> um, um, look, it's different times of season, but we showed the back end of the season what, what we could have done. Um, unfortunately, we, we left it too late and that, that's us. And we're, The thing is about we can wear accountable for our own uh, mistakes or or whatever we don't we don't try and shoulder the blame to somebody else. We take it on board and we learn. And look, it's Wickham Wanderers. They nearly went out of the football league not so many years ago. So 
incredible ride and I'm sure we'll be back again. Yeah. We're going to come back and talk a bit more about Wickham a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, just before we get more onto you and, and where you started out and everything, um, yeah. how much have you seen? Have you seen much of Brighton this season at all? Yeah. Um, funny story is I used to clean Graham Potter's boots at York City. Oh, did you? Uh, oh, wow, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so um, oh, that comes around. Not many people know know that story, but yeah, he, he was at York City when I was a YTS. Um, so there'll be some some photo somewhere flying about with him there. So it's it's always nice to see him doing well and the, the way they play football. And because it's my old club, they, they hold a special light. Um, so yeah, and I've still got friends out there. It's brilliant to see. Mm. And they're safe. So fifth season in the Premier League, Albion never spent that long in the in the top flight before. And you helped them get there, of course. So does that still make you feel pretty proud? Yeah, I'll, I'll watch them to the rest of my days because, but it's a shame one of my other clubs, Fulham, went down. You mm. know, I, I played with Scotty Parker, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, I'm, I'm gutted for him because he, he, even when he was playing, he was, he was how he is now caring about others and that's a that's a sad thing for me but look this is football but yeah for Brighton the way they play football and and the the club in general as a um from the chairman down it's fantastic yeah so what so when it comes to Graham Potter then um obviously a long time ago it would be difficult to see whether we would go into management at that time I guess but the sort of football that he plays uh, he's got the team playing. Is that a surprise to you, or, or is that? Do you think he's no, always because, been? To... Because as a, as a YTS, you follow the people that um, that you're in the team with. So I still talk to a lot of the team. You know, I've got Kev Donovan, like Grimsby, West Brom. You know, they made great strides in football then, and and Graham Potter was there. Wonderful left foot. You know, great pro. And you can always see the the lads who are great pros and 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 do the right things. That you always know that they're gonna end up somewhere in football. Mm. Um, so it, it wasn't a surprise. And then, but he went and learned his trade. He he went he weren't afraid to go try his his tactics or the, his team play in the world. Did did wonderful work over there, and then got his chance at Swansea and. And, and it speaks for itself. So people people realise the type of football he's trying to play and I'm pretty sure his peers in the management group would do as too. And and before we move on, just a quick word about Robert Sanchez, because I think he probably he joined before you would have left, I guess. He may have come across him. I, I don't know. Did you did you come across him much? Did you train yeah, with him? He and... joined when I was there. Yeah. yeah. Most days, to be honest. Yeah. So did you think that he would become the, the player that he's ended up becoming? He's always had the ability to, yeah. Hmm. It, Rob was, um, it was hard for him because he came from from Spain and he was a little bit homesick at first. Um, but he's a lovely, lovely kid. Um, and you could always see that he had that ability. It was just when other things clicked. And obviously it was all down to, for me, Ben Roberts is a, a massive factor. And he's starting to get a bit of credit where where it's due now because it's no no wonder that keepers go into Brighton and seem to head off to better things. Mm, well, yeah. more. well, just about well, just about Ben Roberts then, really. Just whilst we're talking about him, what is it about him that that maybe sets him apart from some other goalkeeping coaches for you? Because, like you say, he's starting to get quite a lot of attention. 
yeah, he's, he's so forward thinking and he has been for a while. Like, obviously, when, when Ben and myself were playing early, early days, goalkeeper coaches were, this is no slight on them, but it was more of just to keep the keepers ticking over and do something individual. But now it's more thought of in depth and how important the goalkeeper is now. Um, he really delves into not just the training side, but how you are personally, because everyone's different. Like I used to go and I used to be a terror when it came to, if I made a mistake of training, I'd be kicking posts and stuff. And like I was always striving to do better. And then you had Casper Anker going to nick in my hamper that were so laid back. It was, it, it, but it was a great mix. But he will, if it's you, say, in training, he will get to know you to get the best out of you. How in those situations when you're not feeling your best or you're angry or sad, how can he turn that situation around? And he was incredible. He was almost like being a young dad again. You know, he was like, he was the dad of the group and anything you needed, like you could speak to him about. And it, the good thing for me was there was no like, because I was playing at the time, he wouldn't just aim everything at me. There'd be times where we got every keeper. I think we got four when we had every keeper from that was in. So I think it was 15s to first team, and we all just joined in together. And it was it was about look, it's a group mentality, and and you can see that he's got that from bringing Rob Bruin. When Rob used to beat us in games because he was he was very good, I just have to get him in the headlock quickly. They will come back to Brighton a bit later on. Let's just talk a little bit about you and your early days. So, what Leeds, born and bred, right? And um, what what was life like yeah. at, at home growing up? And, and were you always big on football? Yeah, my my dad was a a, a football. I say footballer. He played football. <laughs> he had a few trials. He was, he was an old school sweeper, as they say. And, Unfortunately, as my son knows, we, we never got blessed with pace, but we could read the game. So my son now, he, he actually plays defender like my dad, and he, he reminds me of my dad. He, he can read the game. We, we're not blessed with pace, bless us, but um, very good reader of the game. Can talk. Obviously, I'm a bit more quiet than others, but um, yeah. So, yeah, look, mum and dad worked very hard for me and my sister. Um, we didn't. They gave us everything they could, but in Leeds, we we weren't poor, we weren't rich. We was, as you say, middle class, living near the council estate in Leeds, in Armley, near the prison. <laughs> Everybody seems to know the prison in Armley. Um, yeah, and they give us whatever we could, like they spend time taking me to training, um, did whatever they could for my sister, you know. Obviously, sometimes she got left at home while we were at football, but no, look, I can't complain. I say that my upbringing caused me to give the best for my kids. And that's what, that's what we had. We had love and whatever we wanted, we would try and try and be given, but also understood the meaning of you have to work hard and, and earn your money. So it's my upbringing was how I try and bring my kids up now. And apparently I'm still too strict, but <laughs> is that from you is, <laughs> who tells you you're too strict yeah yeah it's from my dad 
Um, let's just say we can be a bit stubborn at times, and but that that but our, our work mentality and and my mum and dad still working now. I think they're going to retire next year, hopefully. Um, that's just I think that's more of a northern mentality. I'm not saying people don't work out, but it was very much you go to work, you go come home for your tea, and you put the kids to bed, and you you go back to work again. You know, it was very much a merry-go-round of of work life. Um, but no, we I had a good upbringing. I, I can't complain. And there's obviously a lot more people that were worse off than me. So I'm grateful for that. And it always tells you that people that are striving for better are striving to do what they can do as you understand how hard it was growing up as well. But we also had a great time because our rules were as long as you're in before the lights come on on the street lights, you know, you're all right. Cool. Um, and, it's a way, and then were you always a goalkeeper? Um, and how, what, was your, what was your route into, into or playing for? I think you went to Huddersfield first, didn't you, before you got to York? Yeah, no. I was actually a striker. Oh, we? Uh, top goal <laughs> scorer in the league, I think. About, up to about 10, 11. And I remember we got um, invited for, it was Leeds Schools at the time, but it's called Leeds City Boys, Leeds Schools FA. It's like the, the I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're still about, actually. It used to be like the schools, best schools teams. And mm-hmm. we got invited and um, at Worley Boys, where Calvin Phillips came through and a few of us. They said, oh, why don't you try and go? You're the biggest lad out of us. And uh, I played cricket too, so I was mm-hmm. quite good with my hands. So, um, yeah, it went from there, really. I Let's not just say I was a goalkeeper. I just got stuck in there and it was... I did all right. I just saved it with my face. And I think they thought I was just a nutter. So it was like, it went well. Um, and that was it, really. I got in, Leeds City Boys, did a few years with with a few pals and and then got picked up by Huddersfield Town, yeah. Mm. Huddersfield Town did two years there. I got released, I think I was 15. And my dad wrote to every Yorkshire club, everywhere that he thought he could get to after work, he wrote to and I think I did trial at Leeds, trial at Barnsley. And then finally it was York. Um, went over there and then they offered me, a, well, I was under 15s because I took a year out and played Sunday league with my mates. Mm-hmm. Um, I say took a year out like I was meant to be in professional football, but I, I think I'd got a bit fed up of the um, academy, uh, centre of excellence, merry-go-round. So my dad took me out and said, look, just go and enjoy it. Went to York, played a few um, games when they were didn't have many keepers on the books. And then signed my under-16s. Uh, and then got a YTS there. Managed to score a couple of goals in an under-16 game against Darlington. That was uh, that still gets talked about with, between a few of the lads. Yeah. Um, what's the... Um... What was your first team debut like for York? How well do you remember it? Like it was yesterday. Um, I was a second or third year YTS. I wasn't even a pro at the time. Um, and I was sitting on the bench. Terry, Terry Dolan was a manager. I'm pretty sure Potter. I don't know if Potts played in that one. I'll have to check that up, but. Um, yeah, Terry Dolan, the manager, and Michael Ingham was the goalkeeper, and he came off at half time last game of the season against Oxford. Um, 
Kassam Stadium 2003, I believe. So that was um, that was a, a crazy time because although we lost, we, we stayed in, I think it might have been Division 3 at the time, the old Division 3, um, yeah. and then changed it to League 2. But yeah, to, to make my debut in English football, and I wasn't even a professional yet, I, I was um, excited to say the least. Yeah. What was your time generally like at York? Oh, it was brilliant. Like the YTS system is not like how it was now. We would get as many boots as we could to clean, just so we got a decent Christmas bonus. <laughs> um, we we had jobs to do. We was we was well drilled. We it was tough work staying away from home. So technically, I've been moved out of home since I was sixteen because uh, I was um, in digs. But no, it was sad when when I found out that they were leaving um, the Kit Kat Crescent, Hoover Crescent. Um, but they're going on to new passes. New, I still speak the um, the chairman there now. Um, he was on the board when he when it got took over when I was there as well. So I still managed to get in touch with a few people. Mm. And. Oh, yeah, and, and, and I hope you don't mind me asking this one, but obviously I've read about Billy McEwen and some of the um, comments that he made, um, your former manager, before, like shortly before you left. And he, I think he accused you of putting on weight and you, you've clearly defied a lot of that over your time and become a very successful goalkeeper at, at a high level. So you were a young keeper at the time. How did that sort of make you feel when, when those comments were said? Well, back then it was, well, it still is now, you know, like I've, I've had my challenges. But as it goes, like, I speak to Ben Roberts a lot. And when he says, he says, you're just a different size, you know, I work best at a, a size where he's bigger than others. Like, it, it's no question. I'm not going to deny it. But it works for me. And I've, I've been down to a lower weight when I was at Brighton. We was doing a little test to see how low we could go without getting injuries. And I got quite, quite low for me. And I actually looked a little bit ill. Um, and that was like behind closed doors. We really tried and put the effort in. Um, we got real quite far down actually, and it it, it started bringing niggles on in my body, and because I weren't used to it. Um, but yeah, Billy McEwen, yeah, he said you you're not shifting any weight as such. Uh, and then when it came to it, I think it was my second professional contract. Um, they asked me. Obviously, I weren't allowed to stay in the digs anymore. So I asked for some petrol money per week. I think it was about 25 quid a week extra, you know, just so I could get across and, and in my little car. And he actually said, um, you should be thinking more about your career rather than money. And it, it was like, well, £25 a week is not a lot. I've been on... I started on 45 quid a week, 50 quid a week, 90 quid a week. Um, it was more for, but we got expenses in YTS, so that didn't make a difference. Look, at the end of the day, it was, it's a good thing to go back on. Yeah, it might have gave me a rocket, but at that point, I weren't thinking about money. I was thinking about surviving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you ended up moving to Darlington, didn't you, I think? Um, so was that a good move for you? Because it obviously, it, it, it ended up, Earning you a transfer to Fulham. 
Yeah, I um, one of the guys who played for York, he knew the goalkeeper coach at Darlington. Said, look, if you need like somebody young, he he's come through, done well. He's a bigger lad, like he's tall. He's he's right up the street for a League Two club. And I was meant to actually sign for Neil Redfern at Scarborough. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, um, they were going to train at Leeds, and they went out of business before I could sign the contract. Uh, so I was actually out a bit. I was working on a, I was on a building site. I was cutting grass for somebody in Leeds, um, and then just got a call out of the blue and said, "Do you want to come and trial at Darlington?" And I actually, I hadn't told him to this day that I was on fifty pound a week doing the cutting the grass. I told them I'd lose because I was on £200 a week. So they gave me £200 a week to go in and try for two weeks. So whatever happened, it was a bit much of my, my let's say, hustler and business thinking. But it turned out well because I signed on for Downton for about £300 a week. Um, obviously, I had to get a car and that and driving. So it, it didn't make me money, let's say. Mm. Uh, how did that move to Fulham come about? Because that must have been like uh, a real step up for you, an opportunity that you just couldn't turn down as well. Yeah, well, I was still, let's say, young and naive, but the goalkeeper coach, Andy Collett, was brilliant. So we did did the, a lot of stuff. He worked on me a lot. Um, the first year, I got a little injury, and I think I played seven games the first year, and it was very much like, look, he's a young lad. We'll, we'll keep seeing how he's doing. The second year... Andy Oates, who was at uh, Derby County, he came in and he was a bit like, well, I'm not going to play now. He got sent off the first game of the season and I, I came in and played well and played actually the whole of the season. And then near the end, we, we played Dagenham and Redbridge um, at Darlington's ground. And then the manager said, look, I want to see you after after the game. Well, this is after the game. He said, I want to see you. And I, I went to see my dad and I was like, I'm getting dropped here. I hadn't even done all wrong and I'm going to get dropped. Um, so I went in and there was the manager, the assistant manager, the goalkeeper coach, the director of football, the chairman. And I was thinking, the flashbacks, I was thinking, have I done something wrong here? Well, <laughs> I was thinking so many things like, have I done, I need to think about, did I go out the other night or did I do something wrong? And he just looked at me and said, look, we're, they were all straight faced, and I come. I wanted to burst out laughing until the goalkeeper coach was like, "It's all right, mate. You're all right." And the manager just said, "Look, we've accepted an offer from Fulham." I said, "What? What for a kit man or something?" <laughs> and he was like, "No, no. You you got to fly down and and go look around on Wednesday." They didn't even give me a day off. They said you can do it on your own day off. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I flew down at the time. Uh, spoke to him. Uh, I actually had two contracts on the table because they were in a relegation fight at the time. Mm. So I was due to sign a Premier League contract or a, a Championship one. And then obviously they stayed up the last day of the season. But that was the biggest whirlwind ever. Like I've gone from Darlington where you turn up, you go home, to flying down somebody meeting you at the airport with a car, taking you around. The first person to see is Brian McBride. I was like, oh my God, I seen you on the match of the day last week. And he just started laughing, welcome to the club. I said, I haven't signed yet, don't say that. But it, it was an incredible experience. And 
I, I'll never forget those days, those conversations, the first people that I, I met. Um, you're going into a Premier League training ground where I might stand outside Leeds trying to find an autograph and I'm getting drove into one. Um, but then it makes you realise you then, they, you're then going into a different level where you're a nobody. Like you have to start again and prove yourself from the bottom. Because mm. you came in and you went, I think you had quite a few loan spells away as well, didn't you, in your early days at, at Fulham? And, and you have, you've, you've been on loan quite a lot and since then as well. And I just sort of wonder actually if you're a sort of character that um, is able to sort of adapt and settle in quite quickly because clearly you've also had really successful loan spells. Um, you know, you, I think you've you even had a few over the last few years where you were on like emergency loans, weren't you? And, and you've gone and yeah. done a really great job. So are you someone that, can just settle in quite quickly and do the job like that or are you not that kind of person <laughs> your face yeah. <laughs> a lot of people will tell you i've got about some some nicknames like the chameleon like i can just fit in anywhere okay uh, wonga the short-term loan specialist you know <laughs> i've got, got a few um few names no do you know what it is for me i i won't turn down a game of football mm-hmm. you know that's how i was brought up i still do it now like in the off season when I'm playing cricket and the lads are like, just ask him because he won't be able to say no. So it'd be funny and on Thursday when I've got a game of cricket and, and I'm playing cricket on Thursday, I better tell the manager that I'm playing. Um, but no, I just, I can never turn it down. And do you know, do you know what I like? I like meeting people. I like seeing different people, different lifestyles, different opinions. And that only comes by opening yourself up to criticism and going, just going like this year, Stevenage, get me there. I was I was on the phone to their manager and saying, yeah, of course I'll come. He's like, you sure? It's like, it's a game of football. What, what, could, what can go wrong? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. That's so, a really yeah, attitude to have though. Yeah, I am very much like that. And a lot of people that, like the lads at Wickham will tell you, like I came in, um, he was like, I can't believe how much you just, fit in I said yeah because I understand people I like talking to people and I understand that how to how to try and adapt to different situations and and you've got to if you don't you sink if you do you can swim hmm. do, you, do you think that makes you a bit unique as a footballer though because a lot of footballers can be quite introverted too and obviously you you like to, it sounds like to me, um, from your time at, at, at Brightings, we'll come on to some of that stuff in a, in a minute, but also, obviously, as you're speaking at, at, at Wickham, you quite like to be part of the entire club. You like to speak to everyone and, and really be part of it all. There's not one person that I don't speak to. You know, the it's like when we go away trips and there's someone helping you off the bus or just a simple, hello, how are you doing? Hope you're okay. Like they might not remember it, but the point is that in that moment of time, you're meant to be um, a person, let's say, that, that's, how do I put it, not better off, but I mean, um, people look up to, some people look up to, and for you just to take a second out of your day to smile and say hello, can change somebody's outlook on a day. And if I can change somebody's, attitude within they might feel sad and smiling i'm always the one that goes all right love and everyone's like is he calling that geezer love just a northern thing and it always gets a little smile or whatever but 
no, that's everyone will tell you I'll, I'll speak to anybody and uh, like I'm well known for having a chat to the Amazon delivery guy for 20 minutes and just talking about his delivery yeah. status but um, what it, it's all about mentality and I think that nobody's got the upper hand nobody's better off and anybody who thinks they're better than people then obviously haven't been through a tough time in their life and everybody has and not everybody admits it but everyone's got those times those dark moments and and i'm open enough and confident in myself to share those moments if people are down and say look i've been here i know how you feel and that's why i've always been one on social media to be saying look if, if you're down i'm just give me a message you know i'll try my best to i mean i'm not going to give you a loan but I'll, I'll try and speak to you and, and look, make sure that they feel like somebody does care. That's great. That's, that's yeah. That's that's pretty amazing and pretty unique for for a football as well and a, and a well-known footballer too. Um, just about Fulham. Going back to Fulham, you had your opportunity when Mark Schwarzer was injured, didn't you? And you played the Premier League and you were getting some really um, yeah, you were producing some amazing performances as well and getting quite a lot of attention. When you finally got into the Premier League, then you were playing these matches. Was that you kind of living the dream a bit? Yeah, I'm, I'm still living the dream now. I'm mm. playing football at 35. I'm, I feel like I'm living the dream, and I have been. And that's my attitude towards it. And but what about the first time you maybe watch yourself back on match of the day? Crazy. I think one year, Gary Lineker tweeted about a save that I made. And I think I saved it somewhere. This this is how I am. Like that's Gary Lineker, you know. I watch, everybody watched Italian ninety. Like I, I I still had it on VHS. You know that's Gary Lineker. You know I still see people now, and like I might see I've seen Ian Wright a couple of times, and I'm like, right, how are you doing? And he's like, Stocks, I've met you fifteen times, and you always act like you're surprised to see me. It's like, cause you're Ian Wright. I played with Brad Wright Phillips, his son at Plymouth. I was like, your dad is Ian Wright. And he was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and you had no, no, they had no qualms about who their dad was. And the dad didn't even, when he came to watch, and I, and I think there's a picture when we played Arsenal at Brighton. And I went to see him and he's like smiling, joking. And I think I was saying to him, you're Ian Wright. <laughs> and he was like, will you stop saying that to me? Um, but no, I, like, I think... My first game, I was, uh, this is a nice story. I said, nice, it wasn't the time. I thought it was going to be late for the, the meet-up time. So I actually <laughs> I had all the family in the car and I drove to Craven Cottage and there's a car park around the corner. I just pulled up outside. I said, right, get the car wherever you want to go. I am running in. Um, and I actually thought I was going to be late. And it was, at the time, I didn't know I was playing. Um, so I've gone in and the manager pulled me and said, you're playing. And it was like, Oh my God, I don't even have time to tell anybody. Um, but the lads were great there. Like I, the, the, the people who were there made, shaped me for the rest of my career, how they helped me settle in. And how I used to think was, oh, I'm just this young kid from Downton who, and then you've got Bobby Zamora, you know, Damien Duff, you know, why do they care about a little kid from, Darlington or coming in from Leeds but 
they're different people and they made they made my career what it is because of how they were if i'd have gone into a more diff, different difficult circumstance then it could have been totally different you ended up getting a call up to the england squad didn't you um i mean talk about you know we're going up these levels here we're saying about you know you don't even know you can't even believe you're meeting ian right what was it like joining up with an england squad um I, I, although i didn't get a cap nobody will ever take their memories away from me and I, I look back and sometimes people say oh my god i forgot you was in the england squad i said so did i like it it, it never happened that i got a, a cap but just being mentioned i think there was 14 goalkeepers that retired from international football to enable me to get there but um <laughs> Um, Not quite. No, (laughs) but again, again, the people there, like Frank Lampard, John Terry, Jermaine Defoe, all took time out to to welcome me in. Joe Hart, I still speak to Joe now. You know, these are not friendships as in like I see him every day, but friendships where you can speak to him and 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 still have a. And, and again, like every game that I played after, I'd play Chelsea. And then they'd invite me in the changing room because I'd been in the England squad. And it was it was crazy. I was walking in and I was like, oh my God, I had a check set right there. And it's like, you've just played against him. I was like, yeah, but he's right there. And he was like, I remember I called throwing some like strappings at me saying, you're, you're one of a kind, you are. I was like, oh my God. I, like, Mr. Cole, stop throwing things at me. And he was like, if you call me Mr. Cole again, I'm going to throw something else at you. Um, but that's how these guys are, and sometimes you don't see it because they're, they're so people think they're so out of reach. But when when they have people and they obviously seen what I was like, as in a bit, oh my god, and 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 really like honed in on that and knew that I was a a good lad, and it was just football circumstances that we met. Mm-hmm. Ah, cool. But and there's never a story as well that you had to pull out of the squad to get married. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, she uh, she did everything she could to try and get me to that squad. And it was uh, Ray Clemens and uh, Fabio that said, no, 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 this is not... Because I was like, if I pull out of this squad, he's going to be angry and he's not going to pick me again. And um, Ray Clemens said, no, no, these, these are times where you, you don't miss. Like we, I tried to book a helicopter from training up to my wedding and back. And I said... To Mr. Capella, I said, "Look, I'll do that. No problem. If you let me go for the the afternoon and evening, I'll come back." He's and he, he just sat there and said, "No, no, 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 no chance." I was like, "I don't want it to affect." He said, "Not a chance. Like this ain't you're not pulling out because you got a fake injury." Or he said, "Don't worry." And then and they both rang me on the on the morning of my wedding as well, which was which was great. And, I'll, I'll forever be and always remember Mr. Clemens for, for how class of an act he is, was. Um, what about playing for, for Fabio Capello as well? I mean, um, lots of mixed um, reports about what it was like to play for him when it got to things like the, you know, the, the World Cup and everything like that. But what, what, did, what was your experience of playing under him? I tried to keep away from him so I wasn't in trouble, you know. <laughs> 
he he was he, he would always be polite and that, but he was trying. He, he tried hard on his uh, English and look. The last, we did. I think we was unbeaten in the time I was in the England squad. So I say us the lads that played, but in the time I think it was about a year in total. We've all you see it's quite big breaks in between, but I'm pretty sure that he was unbeaten in the time and. Um, I think he just must have liked me because I never got in again. <laughs> um, what about Brighton then? Let's move on to Brighton. When did you first hear that they were interested in you and, and um, what did you know about them? Well, I was uh, um, at Fulham with Anthony near me. So when he, he moved there and we got relegated Fulham under Felix McGat and then he rang me and said, "What? What are your plans?" I said, "Well, I've got I've got another year contract here." And he was like, "We'll we'll look into bringing a goalkeeper. We, I think you'd you'd like it here." And obviously, I'd played against Brighton a few times. I played in the first season; the stadium was opened against. It was Hull Hull Brighton, mm-hmm. and uh, they beat us one 0 I think free kick later on. Um, so I knew how good. The facilities were, and he said, and uh, and then I was just about to go on preseason tour with Fulham, and the the uh, secretary rang me and said, "Are you not coming?" And you speak to Brighton. And I was like, "Where did that come from?" I didn't even know they'd put an offer in yet. So uh, they'd agreed it all, and I, I went down to speak to Sammy Hippier, and I just I just liked how they were and how laid back they were, and and. It, I knew that it was going to be a place for me to move on to. Yeah, it it was a start of a really good spell for you, and you've not played for any club um, more than Brighton, have you? In terms of um, appearances, no. Um, no. did you sort of get there? Did you get there and think, oh, I think I could actually, I could settle here? Yeah, again, uh, I've been fortunate to play for clubs that have a great ownership. You know how how they run the club, how they treat their staff. Um, speaking to Paul Barber, the chairman, he, the chairman is a Brighton fan. He, we call him Mr. Chairman, but he just wants to talk to you about football and how we can move the club forward. So it's really refreshing that you're actually doing it for somebody who loves the club. And it's not just um, somebody who you can't see, you can't speak to, you can't. You don't understand if they understand what you're going through to try and do the best. Um, and then the fans, like, they, they took me on really well. Our first season weren't great. You know, we, we played some really good football, but we just didn't get the results. Yeah. I've, I've spoken to a few players, actually, who were part of that same squad as you with Sammy Hupier. Um And yeah. a lot of the those that were playing for him just sort of wonder whether you know it's just the, maybe it's just the wrong time for him in terms of the whole squad maybe that was yeah. assembled maybe he was trying to do something which actually a lot of managers now are having real success with the style of football that he was trying to do but maybe yeah. it was just not it you know needed more time or it needed you know more investment needed more players maybe it just well, didn't just didn't click and it was a real shame that it didn't do you kind of feel that way as well I agree I totally agree look I'm not going to say I need more time because how it went after that was brilliant yeah. for us. But yes, needing more time. 
not more investment because the chairman gave us everything we needed. Time, time's a big one and people are getting a bit more time and now they're seeing results and that was how Sammy was. He was laid back and because he was such a great guy, it was hard like when he left because he was like, oh, like he's trying to do something then that now he's like widely accepted. Mm. And and then, but because Brighton always had the the football tag, as you say, like Swansea played good football. But some of the results that we had that year, we I think we had sixteen shots on target in one one game and we lost. And I know that's football, but it was just like we could feel it in the change room that it's there, it's ready to click, but we just couldn't get things over the line. Sounds a little bit like this season. <laughs> a lot of the time, you have that many shots on target and still don't manage to win. Um, but the, Chris Hewton came in, um, and obviously we know how things ended up in the end. Um, what was he? What's he like as a manager, and how did things maybe change when he came in? He's just a lovely man. Like he has a meeting with you, one on one, and the first question is asked, "What? What's your wife's name? What's your kid's name?" And he writes it down in his pad, and he'll ne- he'll never forget. It, that's the type of person he is. He's, he thinks about you as a person before you as a football player. Then he'll give he'll set out things what he, what he's trying to do with you personally and with the team. And do you know what? He just coaches, and I, I'm sat here thinking now: is there a point where I think, ooh? But he didn't need to shout because he had that much respect earned already. But he never took that for granted. He had a, a voice, a more assertive voice. But I think I, had, I think he shouted about twice in the whole time that I was there. In a, in a, because he's very much a thoughtful man. If something's going on, he'll say, right, okay, do, just give me ten minutes, and he'll go in his office, and you could see that he's thinking about the options, thinking about, and he'll think everything through, like, and he will accept his decision. Most people accepted his decision, whether they thought it was right or wrong, but he would be accountable for that decision because he's thought about it and, and he's, he's a look at his career, like he's very successful. And I think the respect he holds within football is, is, is up there with the best because of how he is as a person as well. And he's achieved so much as a manager. Do you think that almost it's almost um, his approach then and how he treats his players is almost as important to what turned things around for you as what was going on on the pitch in terms of the way you were set up the tactics um no because sammy was was very laid back and 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 like that as well Mm. um so i think just maybe it's hard because i'm a goalkeeper and everyone says shut up you're a goalkeeper but when you're playing out or playing from the back or trying to play football, sometimes going back to to the basics with the players we had, and then obviously adding a few more and getting different types of players in, you have to play with what you've got. And we we literally went back to basics. Like literally, like, let's get it. Let's play in their half. Let's let's cut any mistakes out and and go from there. Mm. Um, obviously it went very well. Players like Glenn Murray came back. Um, at one stage, Bobby Zamora was back. Of course, you played with um, at Fulham as well. It looked like from the outside, as a fan, that it, it was just an incredibly strong bond 
in the squad and looked like you all really enjoyed playing for each other. Was that the case? Because we were at such a good good training ground, good ground. We had so many people that wanted good things for the club and, and, and obviously knew what it, what it meant for the club. Um, so you're all in it together and every time Brighton came up because they kept getting beat in the playoffs it was like they'll never do it because they haven't got it and then the second year when we got beat in the playoffs everyone was like that's it and they've gone they've gone they, you won't see them for a while they thought we'd, we'd shot our bolt as such and, and ran off out of the, out of the starting game and were to be seen again so I think that gave us the added motivation for the next year mm. Um the promotion season was really special. Um, everything came together uh, at the start of that season then because of what happened the year before. Did you just feel like it was, did you all feel pretty determined it was going to end up as it was? This year is the year. Yeah, that's exactly the conversation we had. They said, there's no way, there's no, it's not a successful season. We are failures if we get in the playoffs. That's what it was. So it was, it was like an unwritten thing between us. It never really got spoke about again until the later on in the season. Um, but it was like, yeah, the unwritten rule. Like, we are failures unless we do this um, properly. But it never really got spoke about. It was like a, the elephant in the room that nobody spoke about. So many special moments that season, um, and you became a, a real fan favourite. Really, you were you already were by that point. But um, I remember that double save from the penalty against Sheffield Wednesday, uh, which was obviously one that everyone remembers. Superb stuff. The celebration after it between all of you was amazing. Like you just scored a goal. The reaction from the crowd as well, which is when you really start. I watched it back again just before we did this podcast and listened to it, and like it's the sound you get from the crowd as well, where you just think, "Oh yeah. wow!" Like how will we miss this? I mean, this season as well with no fans and it's just like one of those special moments. Is that something that sticks out in your mind too? Yeah. Um, our club doctor at Brighton, who was club doctor at Fulham with us as well. Okay. Um, so I've known it. I was, I was with him for 10 years of my, my career. Uh, I saved the penalty against Birmingham in my first year and I remember the doctor saying that's the turning point of our season. We're staying up. At the time, I was like, what? Like, and it was the Chef Wednesday game where the doctor came up to me and said, that's the turning point of our season. We're going... And it just happened. It's just things like that. But what made it more special for me during that season is it felt like I was making a difference. And I don't know if you remember the month, but it, it was like... Within the same two months, I saved the penalty at Brentford. Mm -hmm. um, I was at that game, yeah. At Fulham. Mm -hmm. Yeah, penalty at Fulham. And then saved the Chef Wednesday penalty. So it was like, it was like, oh my God. Like, I've, I've made a difference here. So you've done what you can do. Just keep going and, and leave, the, leave the other lot to, to go and do what they do. And luckily, a lot of the time it didn't get to me because we had the... We had Air Duffy and Mr. Dunk at the back mm. for most of it. And then Connor Goldson to come in, Uwe. It was like 
okay, next. Like, there was never any like worries. Like if someone got suspended or injured, it was like, right, next. Who, who's in? Yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on, just about the uh, just the promotion when promotion was sealed. Then, um, just what was that day like as a player? What were the celebrations like? Um, so we 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 did we beat Wigan. Yep. Yeah. Eventually, yeah, two one. Two one or three two, two one. Two one. Because they scored late late on, didn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was surreal because. Although when everybody came on the pitch and we had a little bit of a, we knew that it wasn't technically done. Yeah. Because Wait, it, was all, it was on goal difference. Yeah. And after the season before, we weren't messing about with goal difference. So, <laughs> um, and it wasn't until actually later on in that day when Huddersfield drew, mm. they got announced. But yeah, I remember we um, we had a fun train journey into Brighton. There was a few lads crowd surfing, mm-hmm. and it was brilliant just to, just to be like. I, I remember seeing a, a lady. Me and my wife was walking down the street, and she looked. She went, "Oh, she's got a Stockdale top on," and we was all all the fans and players were walking down, in, in the middle of Brighton, and I said to the police officer, "Watch this," because obviously he was escorting a few, a few lads down, and it was all great cheer. So I went up to her, I said, "Excuse me, can I buy your shirt off you?" And she went. It's my shirt. Turned around, she went, oh my God. And I ended up signing the shirt with a mascara because nobody had a pen. Um, and the, the look on her face, like, just brought it home to me, like, what, what the occasion meant and the fact that I could do that. And it, it was just, like, it, like, we had 20 lads walking down the street with 10,000 fans. And it was, like, people giving us a drink and just having a drink with people. Like, they, we knew what we'd helped do for the the club the fans and they was just so grateful and it was like you know sometimes you see people getting crowded and that it wasn't it was like yeah a few asking questions well done like we were walking together having a drink it wasn't it, it didn't feel pressured or anything it was very much like few mm. mm. uh, and um you, you were you obviously had a really strong connection with supporters and um i think a lot of that came as well from your um support for families as well that were from victims in the shore mayor disaster um because how, how difficult was that for everyone at, at the club and, and and why did why did you sort of resonate so much with with that and, and want to get so involved with it uh, i remember the game and i think it was blackburn where it got got delayed mm. There was a lot of talk between the lads because there'd been a crash and everybody was trying to make sure their families had got there all right. So I think that was one where you hear that families had been affected and it gets to you because you was wondering about your family. So you, you, we had to play the game, but at that point, the game, we, we didn't know what happened. So it was a bit of a, yeah, we'll just go out. Yeah, it could have been anything. Then we started hearing and it was just awful, you know. We turned the training ground into a police um, headquarters part of the training ground. So we was we were seeing people coming back from the accident in like total shock, just white, you know. This is police officers that are coming back and obviously they're eating upstairs in our canteen just at the side. 
and you can see them like they're, they're not even talking they're not even like we're at our side talking away and they're, they're just not it was like they was just drained like what they were seeing they was drained um and then obviously it turns out that one of them worked matt worked at our ground staff and because he's a goalkeeper i used to I used to have a little banter we never really spoke and had a big conversation about families or anything but we used to have banter he'd be like oh you you can't catch anything i was like you just concentrating on getting the grass to grow and just things like that so it was a big thing and then when uh alan said alan mullery said I'm, I'm gonna go speak to him i said look i'd like to come with you and that was one of the hardest things I've had to go through being not involved in somebody's thing because one you don't know what to say and two what can you say that makes them so there was lots of hugs and I think that um, Matt's mum just wanted a hug she wanted someone there um, so maybe I was the closest <clears throat> for her to to take that out on so we had lots of hugs and few tears were shed showing pictures and, and videos and just an, an, an afternoon tea and just trying to help in any way we can and show that the, the football club were there to try and help in any way. Yeah, and a really tough time for everyone. Um, and um, what you did was you know, very special for them. I'm, I'm absolutely sure about that. Um, we when you just when you left i think it shocked quite a lot of fans even though they started to become um uh a few whispers i think in the games leading up to the end of the season that, that you that you might be off is so in, in your own words then what led to you leaving albion yeah it's pretty simple like it it's no secret like i was looking for a bit more security and i spoke with the club they offered me a contract but it was only a year we knew that Matt was going to come in and that Manju was going to give me a chance. Everything was on the table. There was no backhanded anything. Um, and I said, look, I'm trying to get something a bit longer. My daughter's going to be doing a GCSEs. I'd like to make sure I'm not leaving in the middle of that. So I went and spoke to uh, Mr. Chairman and Paul Barber and Chris Hewton and we had a sit down, we had a cup of tea. I told him exactly what Birmingham had, had, had put on the table. They'd put their own on the table. I said, look, that's all it is. It's the years. It's There's not much else that we can... And they weren't comfortable in, in doing the same length of time. And we we finished our coffee. We had another coffee. We spoke about everything ranging from football to what we'd been through. We left and it was literally, you, you do what you need to do for your family. David, that, that's the type of people they are. There was no malice. They wished me the best. They said, I hope you come back and see us soon. So look, the, I've got nothing but great things to say about Brighton. Look, I made my decision whether it was right or wrong. Um, a lot of people say it might have been wrong now, but I've got no regrets because they've gone on, they've found great goalkeepers. And what's to say that I would have done, added any more to their to their stature that they brought in so look I, i'm always accountable for my own decisions but what i can say is they was the most professional and i speak to i spoke to um chris you and still call him gaffer when i see him it's very strange um he was out in spain and i seen him with his wife and we had a sit down and had a drink and 
it was nice just to have that kind of relationship still. And there was no bad, bad malice. It wasn't left on bad terms. It wasn't anything where bad words said. It was just simply a decision that I'd made. And it wasn't even a football decision. And yet, again, I got no regrets, but a lot of people say you might have made the right choice, wrong choice. So you and you, so you did know that Matt Ryan was coming in. Then that wasn't as the that was something that you did you did know was was going to happen. Um, was there? Yeah, and, like, yeah. Obviously, I didn't know he was signing the actual contract yeah. or anything like that. But we we knew that he was in the later stages, sure. which is yeah. fine. Like that is football. You can't be worried about that. That that could have taken me to a next level. Yeah. Um. But again, that made their decision to say, look, we're not going to offer you any more years. Mm. That's fine. Like if you're going to spend money on a younger goalkeeper, but you want to keep the older one, but you, if they think that they're going to be the future, but you deserve to have your chance, then I've got no problem. That's that's a good business club sense. Yeah. So uh, it's not it's not a personal thing. And then just to clarify, then just because again, this is one well, some of the rumours that were going on at the time as well. Some of the rumour was that you wanted to go back and you were trying to maybe go back to somewhere like Leeds um and she wants to be a bit more closer to home was it actually a case then more it was it was actually more like a it's actually a family decision it, it was if the years have been offered if, if there's more fat more years have been offered you probably would have ended up staying yeah okay yeah yeah that's yeah that, that's the, but that's not to say oh my god brighton should have offered more years no no, no, no. yeah that's of course what it was set on the table um, yeah. And I was comfortable with that. Like they knew my feelings, I knew theirs. We was comfortable, and that that is how it goes. And I like to do my football business like that. Sit down, have a cup of coffee. No hard feelings. If you can't do something, you can't do it. Mm. And, and, and and just briefly, because I'm conscious of your time. And um, but you, you you obviously moved on to, to to Birmingham, and maybe things didn't quite work out as you maybe would have hoped or expected to. And you had a few more loans as well. How do you sort of sum up that time? Because and then we'll sort of quickly finish off on, on Wickham. Yeah. Difficult, difficult. Those are some of the darker times, but it also humbled me as a person. Um, and made me realise the important things. And, and yeah, look, you can sit here and say, well, it wasn't a very good choice going to Birmingham. It was like, look, I did it for a reason. You suck it up. You do the right thing. And now I think Birmingham fans are realising that maybe I could have been given a bit more time, but it wanted to be. And, and to be fair, I still hold a lot of time for Birmingham fans, even though I went through a difficult time. And they they got kept in the dark about a few things. So it was it was nice that now a lot of them are saying, oh, shame it didn't work out for you at Blues. Never said a bad word about the club um, because it's it's a, it's a massive club. It's a sleeping giant at the minute, but um, and I, I wish them nothing but the best because the fans are, are just a different different gear. Yeah, um, and then just uh, just on Wickham then again. I mean, it looks like you're really settled there now, and you've just signed a new contract as well, haven't you? Um, so do you sort of see yourself just you know I just maybe see out your career at Wickham if you can I would do what a club to do it at like it, and I'm not talking about levels in football it's levels in relationships with people mm. the owners are just 
great, great people. Like I was trying to get him, the chairman up to sing on Friday, but the manager said no, I weren't allowed to do it. Um, these are the, these are the people, the characters that you want. They're not they're not people that come over with millions and millions of pounds trying to pour it in. They actually came in in a business way, set it up to make sure the club was the longevity of the club was more than a successful time on the pitch. Luckily, we got it by going through the playoffs. And I don't even think they were ready for that because it was just like such a whirlwind time. And then then obviously COVID and that. So the fact that they've managed the club how they have in the middle of COVID, and we literally don't have that many staff either, is, is quite remarkable. But I've got a lot of respect for them. The gaffer to have budgets like he's had in the past and and do what he's done. It just shows you that there's more behind football than just money and things like that and egos. Yeah, just about Gareth Ainsworth. What's he like to work under? Because he seems incredibly laid back. He's uh, he's quite a character when it comes to. He's a very different kind of manager to a lot of other people. Yeah, but that is the main thing. For uh, um, Wickham. We're, we're full on, as in, whatever character you are, you're okay to be that character at Wickham. It's like a safe place. Like, mm. you, yes, we have a little bit of banter about things, but you're accepted for who you are. Mm. If you like collecting stamps, you would get so much banter about collecting stamps, but I bet you if someone's seen the stamp on holiday, they bring it back for you. That's how weird, like, that's a, one of the best analogies you could say. If you collected little miniature things, someone would see one and buy it for you in that club. So I've seen this one. And you'd be like, I can't believe I've just bought a 20-year-old stamp for somebody else. But that's how we are. Like, Gaffer likes his music, you know. We'll have a bit of banter about music. But let him. if he wants to sing a song on the radio, we better check doing the drums. Cool, you know, there is no like right or wrong in our club. Like we do things our own way. What do you think you'll do when you retire, David? I've got a couple of businesses and things um, in property. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been big into that the last three or four years. So that I'm looking to go a bit of development um, back in Leeds. So. I'm really looking forward to that, but I haven't set a date on it. So if, if my body gives up at 39, I'm doing it at 39. If it gives up next year, I'll have to accept that. Hopefully it doesn't give up till 45, because I enjoy everything about what I do. Um, lucky to do what I do. We've been lucky to do it in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so that's what really shows how lucky we are. We just finish with um, a few little things we do on every podcast. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to pick a five-a-side team from from people that you've played with throughout your career. So it could be, you know, anyone from any point um, of any ability, really, as well. You could, you know, look at personalities and stuff as yeah. well, people you just want to play with. So who would you pick? So I've got, like, um, two separate ones. Okay. Like, one, it was, like, one with players where I think, I'm going out to win it. And then one where, if it was in the back alley, I'd back this team to come out 
with bodies lying everywhere. So if I was going for a team <laughs> that was going to go to go and like win it, I'd go for Rob Sanchez in there because he can get down quick. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Paul McShane and Lewis Dunk at the back because there's some angry man at the back. <laughs> I've got Damien Duff and Anthony Lockhart. Like they're gonna they're gonna win a lot. And Bobby's a more up front because he can score from both sides because he's left footed and right footed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's but a good team. If, we, if we're going into a back, somebody's backyard, if we're going away and it's a hostile setup, we've got Casper Anker in net because he's the angriest man you'll ever meet. I've got Paul Robinson, West Brom, Birmingham, Paul Robinson, and Paul McShane at the back. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's going up front if they're at the back. Steve Sidwell and Daryl Hogan. Daryl Hogan's got the skills, but he's also got the temper that you don't want to play with. City can look after himself, but such a lovely man. And you've only got to have the beast up front. Yeah. So it depends yeah. how you want to go. Yeah. You get on really well with... Side and the side you, side. You've got a really good relationship with uh, Akin Fenway, haven't you? Yeah, I've known him for years. But yeah. We're a bit like brothers, and it's weird because they see us two together and they're like, what? what is going on there? <laughs> And it, it, do you know what? It feels like me and him kind of break down a few barriers because of how we are together and how people see things. And hopefully in, in the future, we can do more stuff together, which I'm pretty sure we will. Yeah. Um, whether it be TV or whatever. But <laughs> a like lot of people it. have said that, yeah, we we just work well together. We, we, we've had heated discussions with Awenba, this time pre-season, me and him were basically going at it, hammer and tongue, because I was battering the forwards and he was battering the goalkeepers. Not actually fighting, but just a bit of banter. And we were going hammer and tongs, me and him, and everybody stopped on the training ground. Everybody was looking over and he was like, right, lads, you've got to calm down, you know. It, it's getting too much. And we both looked at each other and went, we're not arguing, we're debating. And everyone was like, I thought you were going to start punching each other. <laughs> and that's the type of relationship we are. We, we're very much old school. Like, we say it how it is because we're friends. We'll say it how it is. If you don't like it, okay, no problem. You don't have to like it. But I'll tell you the truth. So, we, we were, it was his birthday yesterday. So, um, I give him a day off. But um, my little man rang his uncle B and was like, he, he he drew him a picture for his birthday, so that was that was nice. Yeah, uh, so yeah, good teams. And the, in the in the first team, there's only one player, Damien Duff, who didn't play for Brighton at some point in their career as well. There, so uh, it's a McShane played a one loan one season loan with us, and oh yeah, yeah, we, we, and uh, he's he's got we got good memories of of that. So um, yeah, good good side. Um, and then finally, yeah. finally, because I've asked you to pick one memorable game from your time at Albion that really sticks in your mind I think you know which one it is already is it, is it going to be the Sheffield Wednesday is it going to be the yeah. last game or the Sheffield yeah. Wednesday game Sheffield Wednesday hmm. well it's not going to be Norwich away is it <laughs> yeah when I said last game <laughs> I definitely didn't mean the Norwich game it was a Wigan one God, yes, yes. That was a, was yeah. that, that was a, <laughs> because of, there wasn't as much on that game, that Norwich one. What was your, what were your feelings after that one? It was just a freak game, wasn't it? 
I think it was who was it? Was it Scott Minto at the time? And he was doing like the pitch side for Sky because it was on Sky. Mm. And he said to us, he said, "Our stats guy was like, it was something like eight million to one for it to happen at all, but to happen twice in the game, it was like a billion to one." He said it wasn't like it was an own goal, but we've got to put it down as an own goal. Yeah. But the fans singing like if Stockdale scores, we're on the pitch, and then one team would miss it, the other team would be like Stockdale, he would have scored that. So it was in hindsight, it wasn't great. I did not want to be on that pitch for any minute longer. Yeah. But looking back, you look at it, and I think the fans realised that it wasn't technically a mistake. It was just. How unlucky can you be? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So Sheffield Wednesday, though, is going to be the, the one memorable game. And then just finally, yeah. David, what sort of message would you give to, to the Brighton fans? Um, we didn't get to say goodbye to you properly, I don't think, when you, when you left. And this, I think this is a good opportunity to, to have done it, to talk about it. But what, what would you say to them? Oh, I still love you. I still remember those days. The bad times, the good times, it, great bunch and you could always have a laugh and one thing I remember is taking my chat I, I weren't playing in one of the games took my son down and the the, the, the type of people I did they just made him feel at home while I went to watch a game did properly bought a ticket when <laughs> someone was sat next to me like that's David Stockdale <laughs> what's he doing starting here <laughs> that just bought bought a ticket but it was good um so no I still hold it still holds a massive Massive player. One day, maybe not to play, but I'll be back to see him. Yeah, cool. David, it's been so great to hear about your memories. Um, and best of luck with Wickham. I, I hope you, you bounce straight back up next season. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much to David for his time. So accommodating, a really lovely guy, fondly remembered, I know, by all Albion fans. Best of luck to him at Wickham. That's it then for this penultimate episode. Please share if you can. Thanks for listening.